Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast with Tanya Ray Fox. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox, and this is episode 10. After a few weeks off, because I went home to Boston to see the family, I bit the bullet and got my mask and my sanitizer and my wipes and my touch tool, my little copper touch tool, and I got on a plane in the extra legroom seats with no one in front of me and no one next to me. And I flew home for two weeks, and it was great to be home. I actually got COVID tested before I went. I did the rapid test out here. You have to be, in order to fly into Massachusetts um, from a non-safe state, uh, you have to have a negative test within 72 hours of flying. So I had to do the rapid test to ensure I had a result that I could fly with. I got to Massachusetts and I got in on a Friday. The next day I went and got a CVS COVID test and I got those results in 72 hours. So I got those results by Tuesday morning. The only people I saw in those three days were my immediately my immediate family. And so they were both negative. And once I was negative, I was able to see some other people while I was home. It was, it was really nice. It was nice to be able to be outside and all throughout COVID. I know I've talked about this, just being kind of cooped up in the condo without a lot of outdoor space to ourselves outside of our small balcony has been tough. And being able to be home, have a huge backyard at my mom's house, have the pool, be able to walk around without a mask around the neighborhood because there's so much space. Um, Being able to sort of eat safely out on patios at restaurants, things like that was like so, so, so nice. I felt really comfortable and safe. And then uh, now that I'm back, It's kind of crazy because not only am I back to the grind of working from home and being here and being really, really cautious about going out in public, but we are now experiencing extremely uh, horrific wildfires out in California and all along the West Coast, which I'm sure you've heard about. And the air quality in Los Angeles is so bad that they recommend you not spend much time outside. So... Um, normally I try to do anywhere between three to four mile walks in the morning before work. Um, and I haven't been able to do those, which has been really tough, um, mentally on me. Like those are really important for me to get my adrenaline going and get my blood pumping and get a little sweat going before I start my day. And I haven't been able to do that. So it's been, it's been really difficult. And I'm, so I'm even more grateful that I was able to get home and have that time while I had it. Uh, on the flip side, NFL season is back, and if you know me, you know that I have mixed feelings about that. You, normally, the NFL season is my favorite time of the year, and I'm not going to lie, I, I was really excited to have football on my TV on Sunday. It, it was like a piece of normalcy that I haven't felt a lot of in 2020, and I'm sure a lot of you have felt the same way. Being able to drag in my second TV and have it all on and... You know, I always have my laptop because I'm working on NFL Sundays. So I'm working and I have, you know, Red Zone on one TV and another game on the other. And Chris was uh, cooking uh, uh, shredded beef in the crock pot. He made shredded beef enchiladas. And so it smelled good. We had food going and it was just so fucking nice to feel like, oh, my God, life's kind of normal right now. So I want to talk about the debut of of football and how that went um, today. Just kind of how I feel about how the NFL is handling the social justice stuff and just the the beginning of the season in general. We'll hit on that. We'll hit on the Chiefs-Texans game. 
We're going to hit on Cam Newton's debut with the Patriots week one, big win for the Patriots. And I want to talk a little bit about how people are perceiving Cam Newton's debut, how people are perceiving the offense as it stands right now. And the increase in the run game and all of that, you know, there's a lot of questions around how they're going to use Cam Newton going forward. Some of them I think are unfounded and a little bit sort of intentionally obtuse. So we're going to talk about that. And of course we have to talk about Tom Brady on the big Fox game. I have a lot of thoughts about that game and a lot of thoughts about the reaction to Tom Brady's performance, Bruce Arians reaction to Tom Brady's performance, which was eyebrow raising to say the least. So, you know, (laughs) once again, uh, the biggest storylines of NFL Sunday were the Patriots and Tom Brady. Now, that includes two teams, which is almost crazier than it was before, you know. It used to be that it was like whatever Tom Brady did and whatever the Patriots did was at least all exclusive to New England. But now it's we're going we're going nationwide, baby, nationwide. So, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about a little bit about that and... I am going to debut a new segment in my rants section at the end of the podcast day. And that segment is going to be called the Trash Takes Hall of Fame. That's right. I am going to be breaking down a trash take that is so bad, so trash, so garbage, that it belongs in the Hall of Fame of bad sports takes. I'm calling it the Trash Take Hall of Fame. I'm not going to do that every week, but when something's really egregious, We're going to go there and we're going to unceremoniously induct it into the world's worst Hall of Fame. So that's what we have coming up. Why don't we dig into it? Let's do this. Hot stuff coming up. The Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes stomped the absolute living shit out of the Texans on Thursday night football the other night. I would like to say I'm surprised. Uh, However, I think Bill O'Brien's one goal in life is to ruin any chance that Deshaun Watson has of ever rising to his potential. So here we are, another year and the same old, same old. I'm not saying that the Texans are going to be bad all season. I truly have no idea how this is going to pan out. But based on what we saw from their offense and seeing how DeAndre Hopkins performed on the Cardinals this week, It just doesn't. It's just another bad look for Bill O'Brien. What else is new? Uh, Patrick Mahomes looked like a defending Super Bowl champion and MVP, as per usual. It wasn't one of his more explosive games by any means, but he, he, you know, with no preseason and, you know, really getting real football under their belt for the first time, I thought he looked good. And the offense looked as terrifying as ever. They added um, a superstar running back from the college champion LSU Tigers, who looked absolutely perfect in their offense. No surprise there. As fast as, you know, the rest of the offense. So that was, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty seamless. They look like a team that's ready to go back to the Super Bowl. Yes, it's week one. So, you know, there's plenty of football to be played. I'm not declaring them the champions by any means, but they looked as good as you could look in week one of this weird season with no preseason. The weirdest part about that game was the 17,000 fans in the stands. Uh, Only two teams had fans in the stands this week, and the Chiefs having 17,000 fans, it was really jarring. After watching soccer and, and the NHL and NBA in the bubble and then the MLB with no fans in their parks... To see 17,000 people at a sporting event in the midst of what we're, what's going on right now, uh, it was 
it was honestly upsetting. It was honestly upsetting. Um, there wasn't a lot of social distancing, wasn't a lot of correct mask wearing. And even if there were, it just seemed really unnecessary. And I certainly feel, you know, for Chiefs fans, you know, they finally win the Super Bowl after 50 years or whatever. And, you know, you can't have a, of the big debut of the rings and the banner and all that stuff the way that you, they wanted to. But we've all made sacrifices all year long. We've all missed out on massive moments. And, and that's just how this year has gone. So I can't really say I, I feel much um, pain for, for the fans when we've all sort of been in the same boat. And uh, the Texans and Chiefs players, to their credit, had a moment of solidarity in the middle of the field prior to the game to honor Black Lives Matter and the social justice movement across the nation. They received a lot of boos from the stands that were pretty audible on the broadcast. Um, also cheers. There were, it wasn't everybody by any means, but it was definitely a bummer to hear that. Uh, and, and they're not the only ones. You know, Chiefs fans are definitely... You know, it's the middle of the country. They lean more conservatively. And for whatever reason, this uh, the idea of Black Lives Matter is a partisan issue, but <laughs> which it shouldn't be, but it is. And they, But they are not by any means the only ones who seem to be offended by the end racism and um, social justice initiatives that the NFL have entered into this season in partnership with the rest of the professional sports leagues across the country. You know, I, I, this is not something that's going away. Um, we've seen some some pretty dramatic tone shifts from people across the last six months. Even Jerry Jones down in Dallas has sort of had to allow for the fact that his players are going to do what they're going to do. Uh, Don Tari Poe was the first player on the Cowboys to kneel this past week. And while Jones didn't outright support him, he did not. Uh, he basically said, you know, I... He's allowed to do what he wants to do and express himself, and he's going to do that and whatever. So he didn't go against him, which is uh, a massive step in a certain direction for Jerry Jones, if you know how he has taken the stance on that issue in the past. So it was kicked off predictably in Kansas City. Let's just say that. It's still just awesome to see any sort of acknowledgement of systemic racism from the NFL. It's is it a lot of it like too little, too late? Yeah, of course. A lot of this stuff is too little, too late across the country by just about everybody at, in every institution. And I'm not going to pinpoint specifically just the NFL. They're not the only ones. That stuff coming up. The real action didn't start until 10 a.m. Pacific time when Cam Newton and the Patriots took the field for the first time this season. The first time since I was 14 years old that Tom Brady was not the presumed starter of the New England Patriots. It felt actually a little less weird than I thought it would, I think because we've had months to prepare for it and it's been such a crazy year that maybe my brain is just adjusting to like everything being different. And so obviously, you know, everything's different. You know, no one can leave their houses. We can't go to concerts or bars or restaurants or live normal lives anymore. So why wouldn't Cam Newton be the Patriots quarterback, right? And honestly, it was like, a, it was really fun to watch. I had an amazing time watching the game. I didn't know how I was going to feel with football back. If I was, I mean, obviously I was excited. I had my stepdad's um, Patriots shirt on. He's got this like sleeveless Patriots shirt in honor of Bill Belichick, of course. 
And so I was wearing that and I was I was pumped. As I said, I was really excited to have like football back on my TV, but I didn't know how I was going to feel specifically about, you know, the Patriots and Cam Newton, you know, starting and how if that was going to seem bittersweet or whatever. But I really didn't feel it didn't feel bittersweet to me, at least that not at that moment at all. Didn't it didn't hurt that the Patriots were the better team throughout the game. And then it seemed pretty obvious from early on that the Patriots were going to win. I think if it had been more of a stressful game, I might have felt differently. But it was great. It was great to see Cam's um, mobility and his strength. And he, you know, rushed 15 times for 75 yards. Both his touchdowns were designed runs, which was great. You know, it's a good sign for Josh McDaniels that he's already learning how to utilize Cam's strengths this early on. He completed 15 of 19 of his passes. So that's a 79% completion percentage, extremely high. Not a ton of passes thrown, of course, but he was really accurate. And a couple of those were dropped. So, or like at least tipped. Um, and he's tall enough that if a pass is tipped, it's usually just because the O-line kind of sunk in on him a bit. I, I, I'm not super concerned about that. So he was throwing the ball great, which a lot of people aren't talking about. They're talking about the 15 runs and can he manage this pace going forward? How long can he do this? Well, let's be honest, that's not going to be their plan. They're not going to run Cam Newton into the ground. Josh McDaniels is a lot of things, but he knows how to design a run game and keeping Cam Newton healthy going forward is going to be a big part of it. They're, I mean, the Patriots are a matchup team. They play, to, they, they design their game plan around who they're playing. And so they took advantage of the weaknesses in their run defense, and it was great. Uh, you know, a couple mistakes on the defense that were uncharacteristic that I don't think are going to be an issue really going forward. I think it was rust and, you know, just stretching the legs a little bit. Stefan Gilmore called for two defensive pass interference. Let's, that's not going to happen. He's not going to get two penalties like that per game. A really unforgivable uh, fumble by Nikhil Harry at the goal line. You know, again, this is a guy with really good hands. He's very strong. He fights through big defenders all the time. It was, it just seemed like a bad play by a kid shaking off some rust. I, I can't, I'm not guaranteeing that Nikhil Harry is going to be a superstar. I'm not guaranteeing that, but I'm telling you, look at some of the catches he made in against three, you know, three, two, three defenders dragging him, dragged himself over for a first down. Look at that stuff and see his potential and his ceiling rather than these sort of mistakes that were made in the game that are probably more about timing and, you know, trust and the process of getting back into a game more than anything else. I know for a fact that Nikhil Harry dropping balls and getting them batted out or fumbling is not going to be an issue going forward. It's just not. He's six foot four and 225 pounds and he's known for sure hands. So, you know, that's not going to be a big issue. His biggest issue is just he's not the most creative or talented route runner, but He's a jump ball receiver, and when they use utilize him correctly, he's going to work. So you know, just those couple. There's just a couple things. You know, I'm not sure about what they're going to do about kicker. You know, they're just kind of going to do kicker by game, depending on who they decide to use every week. Um, Nick Folk is serviceable. You know, that's the best way I can describe him. But they've got still got great special teams. Their punting is still great. So. Overall, I was really encouraged. The fans got a little edgy at the end of the game when Cam Newton looked really riled up after a skirmish um, at the end of the game with between the Dolphins and the Patriots. Cam was really pissed, 
people holding him back on the sidelines. And, you know, what they didn't show on the broadcast was that Dolphins players had actually grabbed at his neck and were ripping from his neck, like had his jersey and also his chains in their hands and were ripping them. And he went on to explain after the fact that he had the chains were important. The chain that they were grabbing at was important to him because it has the birthstones of all of his children in there. It's a meaningful thing for him to have his family with him. And so he was emotional about that. He felt disrespected. And the two players involved in that were Elandon Roberts and Kyle Van Noy, who are both former Patriots. And so I think that it kind of got in Cam's head a little bit. Like, these are two former Patriots players. Maybe they don't think that I deserve the same kind of respect that their former teammate Tom Brady did. Uh, these are things. Like, he's a human being. And we all have that those insecurities. We battle those things. And when someone's trying to rip something from your neck, you know, regardless of it whether it has the birthstones of your children on it or not, you're going to get worked up, you know? Um, I like the energy. I like the fire. I like the fact that he feels pride in being the Patriots' new quarterback and that he wants that respect. He should. He should want it. And so I'm not worried about that in any way. I'm not saying Cam Newton can't be a hothead, but lest we not forget, Tom Brady is also a hothead. Not in the same way. But we saw him just this week, you know, get really worked up yelling at refs on the field. So the guys at the quarterback position have to be that way. They might handle it differently because they have different personalities, but it all comes from the same place. So overall, I'm excited about what I, it's, it was funny. I tweeted that, uh, you know, all offseason we heard that the AFC East was going to be totally different this year. And, you know, Belichick's not going to have it easy and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the Jets get their asses handed to them up and down the field by Josh Allen and the Bills. Just totally jets themselves right into a corner, right off the top of the season. Who could have possibly imagined that would happen? Um, you know, just such predictable shit from the New York Jets. And so it, like, almost was hard to really even figure out what was going on with the Bills because, you know, Josh Allen looked good. He made a couple really bad, weird decisions, but overall he looked fine. But like, you know, more of the same, really. And then the Patriots come out and sort of bully the Dolphins. Uh, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick throws a handful of interceptions, no touchdowns. He looked awful. I think his passer rating was like 44. So he'd come out of week one and all of a sudden the Patriots are clearly the best team in the, in the AFC East. And Cam Newton is clearly the best quarterback in the AFC East. And Bill Belichick is clearly the best coach in all of American sports. So it's just so weird how that narrative, people try to make it work all offseason and just right out the gate, it seems like the Patriots defense is really coming together. You know, they definitely still have some concerning holes at the wide receiver position. And, you know, I loved how Julian Edelman looked in the game the other day. I, I was genuinely impressed with how clean he was for most of the game. It was a rough, I think, the fir his first target. He dropped a pass that he should have caught, like, no questions asked. But after that, he really pulled it together. James White looked good, um, which was, you know, so there's, like, those are the two people you knew you could depend on. We, there was a big play from Izzo at tight end. Great. Um, but, you know, otherwise, there's – Nikhil Harry has got to – he's got to get more targets. He's got to get more involved. They have to let him – they have to trust him enough to get him involved in the game plan and start having a rhythm and really start being a regular part of the offense. He's a first-round draft pick. They have to put that faith and that trust in him. Otherwise, we're going to continue to get these, you know, one to two good plays a game and one to two mistakes. And that's to, they just have to either go all in or not because they're waffling on really putting him 
at the center of an offensive game plan, and I just don't think that that's working. So I'd like to see them do more of that. I feel like we're going to see on this offense this year a lot of what we see on the defense normally, which is it's going to look different depending on who they're playing. And there are going to be weeks where Cam, you know, rushes five or six times. There's going to be weeks where he rushes for 15. And, you know, we'll see how that goes. I think that Cam's ability to pass the ball is still just being extremely overlooked. He has becoming been becoming a better passer every single year over his career. And that's actually a trend across the league. Players get have been getting to their best as a passer when they hit 30, 31, 32 years old. So, you know, I, I don't know why it would be any different with Cam, who has an extremely good work, work ethic and has always been just super naturally talented. That stuff coming up. Okay. On to the encore. Tom Brady versus... Drew Brees in the Old Man Bowl down in New Orleans. Let me just say this. Going into the week, the Saints were favored to win the game. They're playing at home. They're coming off two straight NFC Championship appearances. They have very little roster turnover. They've got Drew Brees. They've got Sean Payton. They've got continuity. They've got um, a lot of locker room camaraderie. They've got the better roster. They're the better team. So we knew all of this going in. No one was arguing this. The Saints were favored to win that game. On the other side, Tom Brady, no preseason, going up against a team that's better than his, with wide receivers he's never played with, on the road. He goes in. He throws for more yards than Drew Brees does. He has a higher completion percentage than Drew Brees. But because he threw a pick six, everybody is losing their minds. Is Brady washed? Well, if you're a Patriots fan, you've heard this every year since, I think, about 2011. Uh, maybe 2012 they started doing this. Is Brady washed? How long can Brady do this? Blah, blah, blah. His passer rating was the fifth worst passer rating in week one that he has had. Meaning four other games, he had a lower passer rating in week one than that one. So in 2003, that was that 31 to nothing beat down by the Bills. And that year, the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Uh, 2013... Uh, he had a bad game in a very close win over the Bills. Um, his passer rating was lower. And in 2014, or 2000, yeah, so in 2014, he had a bad game. They lost. Of course, they won the Super Bowl that year. And then in 2017, he had a bad game. They lost, and they went to the Super Bowl that year as well. I think you're sensing a trend here, which is not only was that not really a like, a, a, it wasn't an outlier for Brady. There are some years he starts out rusty, and those are on years where he was on the Patriots with the team he's been with forever. So, you know, with all of that being said, I don't understand the overreaction to what happened. Like, they were supposed to, everyone thought they were going to lose that game. They should have lost that game. It would have been a massive upset if the Bucks had gone in with Tom Brady and beaten Drew Brees and the Saints under those circumstances in week one. But because they didn't upset, it seems like everybody believes that this is a doomed experiment and that Brady's destined to fail. It doesn't help that Bruce Arians came out after the game and flat out said that both interceptions were Brady's fault and said he didn't really understand what happened because... You know, everything that they'd done in practice should have prepared him for those situations. 
Which is hilarious because, number one, Brady's not prepared for those situations because of your fucking Bucks practice. He's prepared for them because he's been the best quarterback in the league for most of the last two decades. <laughs> but okay. So, you know, that doesn't really inspire a ton of confidence, I think, in people who are analyzing the team that they're just going to get their stuff together. I personally have seen this happen way too many times with Brady. Um, he is 43 now. Like, he's going to start dropping off. Like, we know this. We saw a little bit of decline last year. But I actually thought he looked pretty good in that game. Like, he made some incredible throws. That He just looked great, you know? The, the pick six, I don't know what that was. I don't know if that was a missed assignment. I don't know if that was just a bad throw, if he was seeing ghosts, as damn Sam Darnold would say. Um, but, like, there's something you that everybody should know about pick sixes, which is really there's only three reasons that they ever happen. One is it was just an absurdly bad throw. But for good quarterbacks, that rarely happens. So for good quarterbacks to throw a pick six, two things are really the culprit. One is a tipped pass. A tipped pass turns into a pick and goes the other way. Or the, you trust the receiver is going to be there. You just you throw it to where the receiver's supposed to be and the receiver's not there. And in this situation, I you know, I hesitate that to say that it was just a bad throw. I think I think Brady should have read the coverage a little bit better, but in that situation with the receivers that he has, these big, strong guys, they should have been able to get it done. Like, hold on, get to the ball first. Like, the ball was there where the receiver was supposed to be. It's just that the defensive back was there instead of the receiver. I don't know. Either way, I'm just not that fucking worried about it. I, it, I find it so hard to get this worked up over Tom Brady making one mistake in an otherwise, like, pretty good game. Yeah, he threw another pick. I don't... I don't care. I don't care. I really don't. The Saints are a really good team. You might get picked off a couple times. Shake off the rust. You're on a new team with a totally new offense, new wide receivers, a totally new system. Give him a fucking break. I just, I'm not saying he's going to win the MVP this year. I'm not even saying the Bucks are going to be good. But that game from Brady was nowhere near a death knell. Shall we? Okay, welcome to the first edition of... Trash Takes Hall of Fame. For my inaugural Trash Takes Hall of Fame induction, I present to you one of the most stunningly bizarre Patriots takes I have heard in quite some time, courtesy of Bleacher Report's Adam Lefko on his podcast. Take a listen here to his thoughts on why the Patriots ran Cam Newton 15 times in the game on Sunday. To me, that was the Patriots further showing us that Cam is not their quarterback. No, they showed the us he wasn't sure. their quarterback by signing him to a one-year deal for $1 million. They're yep. showing us now that, hey, we're not worried about long-term. Nope. I said this when they signed him, that I still think Stidham could be the guy. But when you look at the Patriots' schedule these first few weeks, now they go to Seattle. In a few weeks, they go to Kansas City. What a better way to show one type of offense for the first six weeks and get everyone scheming, how do we stop this? And then you can switch it halfway through the year and go and not even have to put Stidham in that position. 
Just in case you couldn't follow the insanity of that logic, because it actually took me a couple of very painful lessons to make sure I understood this right. He thinks that there's a chance the Patriots are just going to run Cam into the ground for the first six games and then totally change the offense and start Jarrett Stidham for the rest of the season. No, you did not hear that wrong. That is what he said. Now, there are a few layers to this. There's many, many layers to this, but I'm going to break down some of the more offensive things about this. Number one, NFL analysts have a history of doing this to black quarterbacks in the NFL, of deciding that their skill set is not worthy of a starting quarterback role and either saying that they should play another position or saying things like this that insinuate that the way they play the game is not a sustainable way long term. Why you would think that in 2020 after what we've seen from Lamar Jackson specifically, but also Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes and Colin Kaepernick and Cam Newton, his motherfucking self. Why you would say that in 2020 is beyond me. Is it sustainable for him to run 15 times every game? No. If you've watched a single Patriots game in the last 20 years, why would you expect that they're going to do the same fucking thing week to week with no variation? That's just pure stupidity. So the only thing I can think of is that your brain can't conceive of the fact that a a quarterback who plays like Cam Newton could actually continue to grow and change week to week. You can't conceive of the fact that his 79% completion percentage on 19 passes is actually pretty fucking impressive, and you haven't paid attention to the fact that he's becoming been becoming a better, more consistent, more accurate passer across his career, culminating in a pretty impressive stretch in 2018, which I detailed on Twitter earlier this offseason. You can't possibly... Imagine a world in which the Patriots could use Cam Newton in various different ways the way that all these other teams have with their quarterbacks. That is unacceptable to me. It's insulting. It's embarrassing. And I've spent years listening to people explain to me why Kirk Cousins should continue to get a pass year after year being up and down and roller coaster and back and forth and who knows when he's going to be good and when he's not and what... like. No one's ever suggested that somebody should just run him into the ground and bench him after six games. They might suggest he's not a starting quarterback, but that's a, a, a whole totally different topic. Secondly, we have not seen a single thing from Jarrett Stidham that would indicate that he is even of the caliber of quarterback that should be carrying Cam's bags out of the fucking locker room, let alone be taking over the starting job as some, like, mid-season trickaroo from Josh McDaniels. For all I know, Jared Stidham's a pretty good quarterback. You know, we really have no idea. But you're talking about a former NFL MVP. You're talking about somebody who won Rookie of the Year. You're talking about somebody who's been an Offensive Player of the Year. You're talking about a three-time Pro Bowler. You're talking about the greatest red zone rusher at quarterback in the history of the NFL. You're talking about a guy who won national championships in college, who won the Heisman in college, who has achieved at every single level of this game. And you think that the Patriots would ignore the fact that he's the best quarterback in their division and bench him so that they can do Whatever they think they can do with Jarrett Stidham that they can't do with Cam Newton. Let me let you know this right now. There is nothing that you could possibly want to do on an offense that you'd rather have Jarrett Stidham for than Cam Newton. There's nothing you could possibly want to do on an NFL field to win games where your better option 
is Jarrett Stidham, unless it's a trick play, unless they use him like Taysom Hill. Other than that, the best quarterback on your roster, the best quarterback in the AFC East is Cam Newton. Don't get it twisted. It's insulting, and it's the reason that people like Cam end up feeling like they have to justify absolutely everything they fucking do. End rant. Welcome to the Trash Takes Hall of Fame, Adam. I hope that you feel as honored as I feel to induct you. All right, guys, that's it for episode 10. We came in cool, but we're leaving really hot. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm happy to be back. And as per usual, stay safe, stay healthy. And we will be talking after week two next week. Hopefully we'll be celebrating another big Patriots victory. But if not, we know it'll be a good game. I cannot wait to see what Russell Wilson and Cam Newton do against uh, these two awesome defenses and these two great coaches. So it'll be a fun matchup no matter what. And uh, you know what? Fuck it. Long live Cam Newton and long live Tom Brady. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.